Okay, good afternoon everyone. Um, I'm not too sure about the extent to which everyone in the room knows about the um, post-primary and post-secondary situation in Northern Ireland. Are you all familiar with the environment? One is. One is. One is. <laughs> I can tell by the accent, one might be. Um, but in a way it's a good place to start because everyone's on the same benchmark, right? So I hope that at the end of this presentation, okay, I'm going to go through these. Um, I'm going to come from a policy and a practice perspective and how widening access and participation actually plays out within Ulster University, how we do it, how we try to do it. Um, the, the policy that we try to implement from government, how we try to measure that, how we try to take that forward and embed it in what we do, the levels of success we can cite, and also the challenges that we are currently facing, huge challenges in terms of what can only be called a funding super crisis within higher education in Northern Ireland. Um, and of course it's not all doom and gloom, okay? <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom because a lot of this is like a good news story, it is, I feel very strongly about the work that we do at Oxford University. Um, but we, we do have our challenges, and I think that's, that's what I, I want to look at at the, um, at the end of this presentation. Now, you do know where we are, right? Actually, it's a very <laughs> short flight. It was only 50 minutes away this morning, okay? Um, and the next slide is the cluster of higher education providers in Belfast. But Ulster University is located in Jordanstown, just on Belfast Lock, where I'm located. Up in Coleraine, just beside the Giant Giants Causeway, so it's very popular with our international students. And in Derry, London Derry, so good we named it twice. Okay, I'm sure you're all very aware why it's called Derry, London Derry, or the McGee Campus, as we like to call it. Okay. Um, we also have Queen's, the OU, Strandmillis, and St Mary's, which are all located within Greater Belfast. So here we have Jordanstown up here. Um, and the Belfast campus. So in September 2018, around how many students? 26,000 students in total at um, Ulster, and 13,000 of those will be moving from here to here in 2018. A huge city centre development um, that's been invested in by Ulster. We also have Queen's and uh, St Mary's and Stranmillis College. They are both teacher training colleges and like everything else in Northern Ireland there's cultural diversity and then some because they are split on the basis of religion with um, St Mary's College focusing on teacher training within the Catholic sector and Stranmillis College focusing on teacher training within the state sector, Protestant sector. Um, up in Korean, there is the only integrated provider of um, education in Northern Ireland, and that's through Ulster University. We also have the Open University, and those offices are in Belfast. Of course, the Open University has classes right across the region in various locations within communities. Um, part time <coughs> provision there. So, I just want to make sure that all the points that Sheila raised, I had scribbled down random notes as she was talking and I can't even read my own writing so I actually don't know why I even bother doing that but uh, 
I can certainly add some additional notes to you. And just like Scotland, our numbers are capped. Okay, we have a massive cap in Northern Ireland. Um, and I'm going to go on to talk about the implications of that MASM cap for widening participation, especially over the last 18 months and the impact that that has had with the cut in the MASM within the region. HE in FE is a huge success within Northern Ireland. It's something that we're incredibly proud of at Ulster University. Before I took over as head of school about my goodness, it was seven years ago. For the seven years previous to that, I was what was called faculty head of collaborative courses. And our role was to ensure those collaborative partnerships between higher education and further education worked. And that was from access provision, access diploma provision, where our access diplomas are actually twice the weight, in a sense, as the access diplomas in England. Ours are 120 credits, part-time over two years. So it's a holistic programme of study for those with no qualifications, and actually you need no qualifications to start one of those programmes. You can come with nothing, and we build you up over those two-year periods. We also have certificates, Cert HEs, Dip HEs, Foundation degrees, HMDs, and so forth. We only have four providers who provide level six degree level activity, but it's mostly level four and level five that we would offer within the FE sector. And of course, we have locations all across um, for example, in Derry, London Derry, we offer the whole remit, right from um, access diplomas to certificates <coughs> to um, DPHEs and foundation degrees. And we are working on a foundation degree in health and social care. Okay, so I take on your point about it being very vocational and the challenges that that brings, but actually, um, it takes a lot of hard work in terms of that partnership and those partnerships to develop between FE and HE. And if those partnerships are successful and they're worked on with course directors and course team members working to develop curricula in partnership with FE, they can be incredibly successful. And we have seen that within Ulster, but it does take a lot of time and a lot of commitment to make those partnerships work. Just by putting on a foundation degree and saying students can progress to the final year of A, B or C, it doesn't work. You know, and you are going to get a lot of retention issues because the partnership isn't there. And um, we increasingly find that we may need additional bridging to ensure that, you know, you do get that readiness for um, level six education. Because the last thing that any of us would want to see is raising expectations, raising aspirations, and then those students dropping out um, when they come to university. Um, just to note, there was just over, <coughs> just under 5,000 students registered in higher education in Ulster awards in the FE sector. Nearly 5,000 higher education students, top of our own students. Okay, Across the sector, there are 11,000, and of course that would include students from um, actually universities in England as well who provide top-up degrees within the Northern Irish context, within Northern Irish colleges, and also the Queen's University of Belfast who also validate course provision within Northern Ireland. So there's a huge spread of courses across Northern Ireland and how local is local in a way, right? Because if you look at us, you know, we are a very small region with a big reputation, okay? So from here, where I am, to here, it's only 110 miles, right? So it's, it's a small region, but 
we have one train line that goes here and one train line that goes here. We have nothing here. And the roads over in the west are, are not good. So in terms of accessibility, um, we do not have the infrastructure that you would have in um, big cities in Scotland or certainly not in England. Okay, so it is difficult for students to um, commute and migrate to different colleges if they're living in, in, in rural areas. Okay. So in a Northern Irish context, 50% of our students go on to higher education. And of course, that, that's a pretty impressive number. But many of those students, 11,000 of them, will be located in further education colleges, as well as the main higher education providers in Northern Ireland. We have only one Russell Group provider in Northern Ireland, and that's the Queen's University of Belfast. Ulster University um, came out of uh, two institutions that merged. Um, we had the new University of Ulster and the Ulster Polytechnic, and they merged in 1984 to form the University of Ulster, which is recently rebranded to Ulster University. Okay. Um, 64,000 of our higher education students are studying for awards in the UK. Okay. And of course, the tragedy is a lot of those young people leave and they never come back. And I was reading an excellent paper from Sheila on the flight on the way over this morning. And um, the number of GB students and Scottish students, Welsh, English students that come into Northern Ireland is marginal. <coughs> you know, we still have the freeze factor. It's still there. The legacy is still there. So even though we have this Mazen cap and the only way to grow our numbers is through non-MASM, which is anyone outside of double size Northern Ireland, and international. It is a challenge to recruit those students. It's a huge challenge. Um, and, but we're working on it. We're working on it. So, 23% of our students leave Northern Ireland, down from 45% in the 1970s for obvious reasons. Okay. Um, not only that, we have um, now gone into a situation because of the fee increase in GB, you know, up to £9,000, many institutions. Our fees in Northern Ireland per annum for full-time undergraduate study are just under £4,000. Okay, and you may find, think that's brilliant, right? Um, and it is. But in a lot of ways, the knock-on effect that that has had to our core funding because there hasn't been any makeup of that differential from central government. Um, the only way we can make up that money is through non-mass activity and through research grant funding, which as we all know is a finite pool, and everyone's after that research funding. So it doesn't increase, and we're all after the same pot. We've had a 2% increase in student numbers over 10 years, and um, actually a female dominance of students in Northern Ireland. Um, young men, it's a huge problem with young men going into higher education. One of the policy papers which I'm going to, the Access to Success paper from Dell, I have a list of references on the last slide and all of these are on the, the list of references. This was the policy paper that sparked a lot of the work 
within higher education on widening access and pulling together a lot of the threads that were already ongoing within the likes of Queen's, the OU and Ulster University and the colleges. And one of the main recommendations coming out of this, and I'm going to go on to it, but this is just in case I forgot to mention it, was that young Protestant males were particularly disadvantaged when it came to progressing on to higher education. Right? Young Protestant males. So a lot of the finance and a lot of the activity has been around looking at those areas of, um, where young Protestant males are disadvantaged and pouring the resource into those, and a finite resource, into those fields. Well, this was two days ago, 10th of February, a few days ago. The news out in the Irish Times, more Catholic than Protestant boys are failing to meet exam targets. So by targeting a specific area, have we now skewed the balance mm -hmm. of persons coming forward for higher education? Actually, I think the narrative's wrong. I think it's just young men. Young men are being disadvantaged in this when we look at the statistics within Ulster and Queen's where there's a female dominance of students within the sector. There's a whole research project there. Okay. Um, enrolments at higher education institutions in Northern Ireland by religion. Um, fewer than Catholic. Protestants are much fewer. So in 11-12, which is the, recent, the most recent data I have for this project, um, about 14,500 students were Protestant. Um, and 21,000 students Catholic, three percent other, three percent not known, eight percent non-Northern Ireland, which brings us to fifty-one across the sector. Um, so there is an imbalance there. Well, why do you think that is? The Protestants go away. They do. There is. There's a history actually, um, a very strong history within the the Protestant school tradition of um, Scottish ancient universities big tradition of that. And much, much more recently, actually, for post-92 institutions, Dundee is a huge draw for Northern Ireland students. And I think is the only other university, certainly was a few years ago, in the UK that offers Northern Irish law qualification. So it recognises that as a real market and a real attraction. You know, um, It was known as the brain drain, still is. So, what is the problem, therefore, in terms of widening access and participation within the region? When we look at the highest participation rate, there is a higher proportion of young people in classes four to seven attending higher education within Northern Ireland. Okay? It's 32% across the UK as a whole, 33% in Wales. 27 in Scotland and 36 in Northern Ireland. Okay, Northern Ireland, because of the work of the colleges and Ulster University and Queens in terms of outreach, has tended to attract because we're a small area. We can, you know, it does skew results when you look at big data sets. We are a small area, um, but we do attract a larger proportion of um, students in classes four to seven. If we drop class four. The level drops about 25%, but it's actually still very high. Okay. Whenever we look at um, students' background across the whole of the university, you could divide us into five, five, five pieces, from the most wealthy to the least. But actually, it very much depends on the course that those students are taking. So the student makeup 
would look quite different in architecture than it would in my school within classes within social policy and health and social care. Okay. Um, the two schools with the highest rate of participation by those in um, seven, six and five are the School of Sociology and Applied Social Studies and the School of Criminology, Politics and Social Policy, which is my school. Okay. And they attract the highest level of students in classes five to seven. Um, within FE, students tend to be more mature, um, part-time students and come from areas of traditionally low participation, which tend to be more rural areas and also disadvantaged um, urban areas. And as I mentioned before, um, young Protestant males a few years ago were the ones who were not coming forward to go to university or, or even FE persons with disabilities and older learners. So obviously with the data showing that level of participation, um, the Dell paper was structured around those areas, particular areas of disadvantage. And it was focused on activity that would address some of those primary concerns. Um, it was an integrated regional strategy. So all the FE sector and all providers of higher education have signed up to this with a very firm focus on marginalised groups. Um, it's a weary document, but it's well worth a read. And it was actually a, an excellent piece of policy in terms of actually transforming um, how universities were doing things. Because we did it before, but it tended to be more piecemeal. Now it's all put together in a structured format. You know, and we, Yes, there is a lot of reporting, but actually for us researchers, there's a lot of rich data that comes out of that reporting that we can actually see the benefits of the policy put into practice. And you can see for yourself there, um, increase in provision at HE and FE. This one has been problematic because of funding, as has this one. We have seen our FE college is now going through the second wave of restructuring. Okay, we are now going through the first wave of restructuring. Expansion of foundation degrees, and that has been a huge success. Because actually, foundation degrees should not just be seen as a means to go to a level six award in the top up. But great qualifications in their own right, and great qualifications to enhance the workforce. So yes, there is a progression pathway there, and all of our foundation degrees at Ulster and at Queen's have to have a progression pathway that students can go on to complete if they choose to do so. But that's not to say a foundation degree is only half a degree. It is a definitely a degree in its own right and one that is um, there to enhance workforce practices. As part of the strategy as well, um, there was a widening access premium for students with disadvantaged backgrounds and with disabilities and special funding initiatives for partnerships between HE and schools with low level of participation. And I'm just going to talk a little when I go into the practice aspect of this to show how we have done that within Ulster. Um, there was five themes that went through this policy document, starting with understanding what the demands actually were, looking at the available data out there, moving towards raising aspiration and attainment to enhancing recruitment and selection of those from a, a widening access background, improving the quality and relevance of support for retention. When they come, we want to keep them. I mean, that's... No one wants a student coming to university from whatever background they're coming from 
and dropping out. Nobody wants that. And then streamlining the structures for involvement and investment. Where do we go from here? Where's the money best targeted within the sector? And that's within the Access to Success document, which is in my list of references. And you can read that then in your own time. Again, come to higher education, we want to keep you in higher education, particularly if you're from a widening participation <coughs> background. Because the efforts made by some of those students to actually come to university are significant. They wouldn't have the same peer structures that students from middle class backgrounds would have. So to lose those students is devastating both from the university's perspective and for those students. The number of students we have found coming to higher education with a disability has, uh, has grown. Within Northern Ireland as a whole, we've grown from 910, from 50,000, up to um, just over 52,000 in 2013-2014. And on our website, we do have a full, and again, there's reference to this, our latest widening access and participation plan, 14-15-16-17 and all the statistics in relation to access, background, gender, religion, disability are all within this pack, so you can read through that in your own time. Um, we have recently restructured our student support services at Ulster, so we have a one-stop shop format now for students coming in, so they don't have to go to two or three different places, it can all be done as a pack. We have found that you know we have a lot of students coming with so-called hidden disabilities, so with autism or with dyslexia, and um, really actually a, a significant proportion of students. And um, we have found that within certain support groups in Northern Ireland, um, it is known about the support that's given within Ulster and Queens, and increasingly we find students are now coming forward where they would not have done so before. We have some amazing case studies of students who have come through over the last few years and would love to spend time telling you about them. But if you catch me over lunch, I will certainly tell you some of those stories because they're absolutely inspirational. Inspire to Aspire is one of our main projects within Ulster to, um, where we go into um, special schools within Northern Ireland and encourage those students to come forward, whatever their disability may be. Retention. In 1314, 6% were no longer in higher education within um, Northern Ireland. That compares to a UK average of 5.7%. Um, England's the same as that, Wales 5.4% and Scotland 6.6%. So it is still high, and it's still high in certain areas um, when you compare particular programmes of study across universities. Um, biomedical sciences, for example, has a very, very low attrition rate, whereas um, the likes of social policy would have a high attrition rate. And I think that reflects the, the challenges that many of these students from widening participation backgrounds bring. Because it's, it's not necessarily the fact that they're not fit for study, or they're not able to cope with study at level four. Sometimes external factors just make it too much of a challenge, whether that be finance, or family or caring responsibilities or whatever that may be. That's a significant challenge for our students. So, 
have we implemented the policy? This is um, our graduation cohort for our Step Up programme. And that is one of the special projects that Ulster University has put in place to go into marginalised named schools within marginalised communities who do not traditionally send students to either Queen's University or Ulster University. And we work in partnership with those schools to raise aspiration. We work with those students to bring them into a summer school and if they successfully complete that summer school, which is focused on skills that they will need to study at higher education, they receive 60 UCAS tariff points that they're able to put towards their um, tariff score to enhance their um, likelihood of being successful as part of the UCAS process. It's made up our widening access unit of, of three sections. One looks specifically at widening access, one looks at distance learning, and um, the other is a programme looking at short course provision, which is very closely linked with widening access, which we'll go on to tell you a little bit more about. So in terms of Ulster strategy, there's all the detail you might ever want to know and more on the website, okay, but the headliners um, are a focus from the entire student trajectory from pre-entry to transition to HE. 95% of primary and post-primary education in Northern Ireland is segregated on the basis of religion. 95%. Okay. That actually has a massive impact on everything. Everything. Everything that we do. Because even in terms of funding, you look at a small school or a small village, there's two primary schools. Right? There's a Catholic primary, there's a Protestant primary, and maybe there's even three if there's an integrated. Okay? Well, actually, the population size would tell you there's only room for one. So we're doubling up all the time, all the time. Um, and that has other effects in terms of sometimes you will find that students come to, to Ulster University or to Queen's, it's the first time they've socialised with someone from another culture. First time. The age of 18. So even though we still have a, a peace process, which is very successful, if you're, if you're measuring peace on the basis of um, shootings or bombings or the violence that went on in the 70s, 80s and early 90s, if you're measuring peace in a different way, in terms of those um, barriers breaking down in terms of religion and identity and um, funding, it's how do you measure success? How do you measure that? So there's expanded opportunities then for participation in HE from high deprivation or low participation neighbourhoods and also implementation of flexible and accessible pathways. Because it's not every student that will go through the UCAS process. Yeah. We work so closely with our FE colleges. There, there's more than one way to enter higher education. We're very keen on um, APL and APCL at Ulster University. Okay. Sometimes for our part-time provision where our cap doesn't fit and we can bring in as many part-time students as we like, Sometimes the best way to bring in a part-time student is to sit down with that student, to talk to that student, to talk about their inspiration, to talk about their desire to study at higher education, and bring that student in, maybe one module, a taster module, 
to see how they actually can cope with study at level four and build on that over time. And that's something that we're very keen on doing within Ulster. So we're not just looking at traditional A-level students coming through UCAS. Of course, you need money, don't you, to make any of these things successful. And I'm very wary that I'm keeping you between you and your lunch, so I, I will rattle through the rest of this. Um, we do have um, funding for bursaries, which of course don't need to be repaid. And we do focus on children coming out of care, where there's a thousand pound bursary for children coming out of care and also accommodation that is open all year round for them. So that wouldn't be limited to semester long accommodation. Um, and a whole range of scholarships and special projects, funding for special projects that we have at Ulster. Um, I've already mentioned our step up programme, but we also offer a tutoring in schools programme where we um, accredit through a programme called EDGE that accredits um, graduates' attributes that sit outside the curriculum. So it's an additional award that they can get for either volunteering or doing such work as volunteering in schools where they act as ambassadors and an inspiration for young people. Even though that programme is open to all schools in Northern Ireland, it tends to be those from marginalised communities that register for the programme and that's where our students go in to work with alongside those primary school and post-primary school students. So, very, very quickly, a little example, well, it's actually a big example, of how we can put this policy into practice, right? It's all well and good having policies and saying, these are the things that we will do. Well, show me the money. How does it actually work in practice? Our community and youth work provision at Ulster has traditionally um, taken in a, a very high proportion of non-traditional <coughs> students, okay? And we do this in, in different ways. We do this through APEL, we do this through taster modules and bringing them in slowly and building them up because a lot of the individuals who would come onto our programmes would be volunteering within youth and community work. So we're looking to professionalise them within the career pathway that they've actually chosen. Um, and we, we take them through three stages. We take them through the widening access modules that are offered in the community in partnership with employers. We then bring them on the certificate in community youth work studies and then register them on the full degree that is professionally accredited and linked to their workplace. So it's a three-step process. Um, we have a framework at Ulster. I don't think it's that popular in England yet, but we have found it very successful. It's a certificate of personal and professional development. It's 60 credits and after you register for 60 credits, you can come out with a certificate. But it's a credit accumulation process rather than a coherent program of study. So you can study anything from introduction to photography to someone described a course once as underwater basket weaving, right? It can be anything and everything, okay? But if you accumulate 60 credits in that, it's a level four certificate you will get at the end of it. And we have used this framework to um, ensure that the, the fund, the policy and the strategy all comes together. And these projects are specifically funded under our access agreement. So there's thousands of pounds you can actually um, use to support these projects. The community youth work project cost just under 14,000 pounds, but <coughs> nearly 60 students successfully completed that and nearly half of them have gone on to higher education study. Okay, so actually that's a remarkably cheap piece of widening participation when you look at the impact that that will have 
on um, those individuals, the people around them and the communities that they actually serve. Uh, okay, taste your modules. Right, the widening access module is actually developed in partnership with three organisations, Youth Action, the Belfast Unemployed Resource Centre and the Education Authority. Um, here we are, everything's, everything's duplicate. You have it in Irish and you have it in Ulster Scots. All right. Um, so the various locations across Northern Ireland, a whole geographical spread to ensure that we were reaching those audiences who were most marginalised. Those people who were least likely and most able to go on to university. The modules that we offered these young people, and they were mostly young people, went from coordinating community projects to street-based youth, youth work to sustainable communities. These, this was work that they were doing as volunteer youth workers anyway. So we were capturing their learning and professionalising these students. Delivery was mostly evenings, weekends and residential. And this was Actually, it was very interesting because when we got the funding, which was just under £14,000, and the likes of uh, Youth Action and the Education Board were able to seek additional funding because th they could see the, the value that we were bringing. So we were actually able to put in for a residential that hadn't been funded under the Ulster Fund that added huge value in terms of peer support and learning and bonding for those young people. Um, before the programme, um, there wasn't a lot of ambition to go to university. 10% of the young people indicated it wasn't a priority. 26 said it was low priority. Okay. Um, interesting, the primary reason for um, study wasn't the fact that the courses were paid for through the Ulster Access Fund. It was the choice of the subject, because that was the subject we were volunteering in anyway, and the fact that it was offered within a local community. Again, I've already mentioned that um, travel is difficult because our infrastructure is not good. So after study, 40% of the young people said they were much more motivated, 42% more motivated, only 16% of them said there was no change. And delighted to report, and that's gone up actually, the 30% has risen, that they had applied for a course at Ulster, that's a full course, after the taster modules that they'd actually undertaken. It made me appreciate the help and opportunities that are out there for young people like me. Many young people don't know about these opportunities unless they're actually working in the community <coughs> like these young people were. This is the graduation of our Youth Action young people with the Dean of Social Sciences standing in the background there in Belfast. Um, some of the groups of those young people who graduated from those modules, um, the, the 60 young people in total. Very quickly. Um, I suppose this is where it gets a little bit depressing and a little bit sad after the good news stories. Is that in Northern Ireland there's been an 8.6 million cut in budgets. Why? Well, two main reasons. The comprehensive spending review being one of them. And also the failure of the Northern Ireland executive to implement welfare reform within the section, within, within the region. So... How's that impacted? Well, we had cut to the bone already. We have, so at Queen's. And um, genuinely, we're left with no alternative but to cut 1,200 places, student places from the MASM, from 210 staff. We are in the middle of that process now. It, it is not good. Queen's, it's the same. Um, just over 1,000 student places and 236 staff are going under the cuts. 
And what are the what, what's the impact? What's the implication? Well, even though we have ring fenced our access money under the access agreement, we are reconfiguring what we do. For example, we used to have computing science offered on three campuses. Now it's going down to two. We used to have sociology in Derry, Londonderry, and in Belfast. Now it will just be in Belfast. Okay. So those progression opportunities for those young people from the colleges, who, as you can see from the feedback from the young people in the community and youth work, where location was a priority for them, will not be available anymore in their local area. Okay. So the provision might still be there in Northern Ireland, but genuinely, um, a, a lot of my students travel, a lot of my students are <coughs> commuter students, right? Um, and they may not have to drive too far. If that program shifts, it brings on a whole new dynamic. So, let's go back to the successes. We have had a lot of success within communities, student numbers and collaborative provision, but those partnerships take a lot of work and a lot of commitment and a lot of buy-in from academics. Academics have to love it and love what they do to make that work, okay? Um, there, there's no room for traditional notions of who should and who shouldn't be in university or what subjects should or shouldn't be there. You get that partnership right, it's, it can be really successful. Um, in terms of grants and bursaries, well, obviously the bursaries are not repaid. Our student loans are much lower. We repay back at £17,000. But a massive problem for all of our students is the here and the now. How do they feed themselves? How do they pay for accommodation? Um, how do they pay for clothes? Right? I do take genuine phone calls from my students to say, I can't afford to come into university today because I can't afford my bus fare. And actually that's a genuine concern. A genuine concern. So whilst the loans may be there, it's the day-to-day -day living that is a, is a huge problem for many of our widening access students. I've already talked about the loss of mass and places and student mobility. Um, and we do risk unless we take a new look at how we do things within the higher education sector we do risk them changing to elitist organizations again higher education institutions of young people marginalized <coughs> communities and adult returners to education cannot access because of finance they need to be able to access in terms of ability but if you don't have the finance to support you we return to where we were in the 1960s and 1970s again Let's hope we never get there again. So, I do have a list of references for you. Um, and you will get these on the slides on the website. We have the, the Dell report. We have all the information you might need about widening access in Ulster. And we have the full text of the most amazing book, Figuring It Out, written by my colleagues, Anne-Marie Gray, Gretty Horgan and Amanda Layton that goes through all the statistics and provides analysis for it within the Northern Irish context, including higher education. And I shamelessly use the snipping tool to put those tables up there. So kudos to Anne-Marie and Gretty and Amanda. But the full text of this is available on that PDF link. So, and it's free. Okay. So thank you very much indeed for listening to me. Thank you. Thank you.